Well, there was a, a parable is told of a farmer who owned an old mule, and the mule fell into the farmer's well. And the farmer heard the old mule braying, or whatever mules do when they fall into wells. Don't know what that is, but after carefully assessing the situation, the farmer, he sympathized with the mule, but he decided that neither the mule nor the well was worth the trouble of saving. So what he did was he called a bunch of his neighbors together, and he told them what happened, he began to share with them, and he enlisted them to help haul dirt in, and what they were going to do is bury the old mule and take care of the well at the same time and put the mule out of its misery. So initially, the old mule was hysterical. But as the farmer and his neighbors continued shoveling the dirt, it would land on the mule's back, and a thought struck the mule. It suddenly dawned on him that every time a shovel load of dirt landed on his back, he should shake it off and step up. And so this is what he did. Blow after blow, he would shake it off and step up. He would shake it off and step up. He would shake it off and he would step up. He kept on repeating that phrase to himself too to help encourage him throughout what was going on. And no matter how painful the blows or how distressing the situation seemed, the old mule fought panic and just kept right on shaking it off and stepping up. Well, you're right, it wasn't long before the old mule, battered and exhausted, stepped triumphantly over the wall outside the well. Now what seemed like it would bury him actually blessed him, all because of the manner in which the old mule handled his adversity. And that's life with you and me. If we face our problems and respond to them positively, refusing to give in to panic, bitterness, or self-pity, the adversities that come along to bury us usually have within them the potential to benefit us and bless us, just like that situation. Remember that forgiveness, faith, prayer, and hope are all excellent ways to shake it off and step up out of the wells in which we find ourselves. Now, I have no idea who wrote that, okay? The author is unknown on that. But I want to ask you a question this morning. How many can see that the old mule had every reason to be discouraged when he first fell in the well? (laughs) Wouldn't that be obvious, right? And even more so when dirt started piling (laughs) and he realized he's going to be buried alive. You can see an opportunity for discouragement here. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have uh, ever been discouraged? Okay, that was a question. I'm going to ask it again. All right? And see, your job is to respond. This is how you would respond. You can even go this way if you wanted to. Whatever. Okay? You ready? How many of you have ever been discouraged? Every single last one of you, including myself. We've had opportunities to be discouraged in life. If you've lived on this earth for any time, Really, regardless of age, you've had an opportunity to be discouraged. And you could, be, you could have that opportunity, I know in my own life, on a, on a pretty consistent basis. I mean, sometimes week to week, day to day, hour to hour. I mean, I can have it consistently, an opportunity to be discouraged. Now, I did say something, I hope you heard the word opportunity to be discouraged. Just because discouraged, discouragement comes knocking at my door doesn't mean I have to answer it. It doesn't mean I have to let it in my life, but the fact is that we all have those opportunities. And, and uh, can I share you guys a weak moment in my life recently? I mean, you guys okay with that? I'm going to be vulnerable here, okay? And I have feelings too, all right? But uh, this is a, an opportunity in my life uh, <laughs> that I had a brief opportunity to be discouraged. And, uh, and, and just, again, opening myself up, uh, I'm a pastor, and uh, every week I make meals to serve. And where I serve them at is at a service, okay? And uh, as a pastor, it's built in me, just like 
uh, parents putting together, inviting the family together, like Thanksgiving, for example, they want everybody there. No one wants anybody missing. Well, as a pastor, I want every member at every service. I know you're going to say, well, that's not feasible, but the reality is I can't help it, okay? That's who God made me, and the anointing's there, and I just, that's what I want. That's what I want to see. That's, that's my heart, okay? And uh, any pastor worth his salt is going to feel the same way, all right? That's just the way it is, so you might as well get used to it, all right? <laughs> but the fact is, there are times that isn't always going to be the case. And uh, in fact, most of the time, it's not. Well, last week, I had a real opportunity to be discouraged because we had a ton of people missing. I mean, a lot of people missing, like almost half. I mean, and there's still not everybody here today, but uh, there was a lot of people missing. And in the process of that, and by the way, they, they all, I'm sure, had very good reasons to. But what happened to me and how it affected me was the devil began whispering in my ear, all right? Can you believe that? He actually messes with me. And the fact is, is that he began to say things like this to me. Look around. People don't want to come here. Maybe if your preaching was a little bit better. You just don't have what it takes. And the devil's saying these things, so on and so on. He's just building these things up. And I'm not going to lie. For just a brief moment, discouragement was setting in. In other words, I'm a person. I'm a human. And I felt bad for a moment. In other words, it began to hit me. For a moment, it felt like it was all true. It was all true. And I said, for a moment. I quickly realized what was going on and what the devil was doing to me. And what he's trying to do is discourage me. Well, guess what? If that discouragement moved all the way up here by the time I ministered, it's going to certainly change the message. It's going to Im- impact things. Well, when I recognized what the devil was doing, I immediately recognized how he was handling things. You see, you need to understand he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Virtually everything Satan says is a lie, okay? If he says you're dying of cancer, you're probably fine. You hear me? Why? Because he's a liar. If he says you're going broke, something must be heading your direction. Because the only thing he can do is lie. And the Bible, again, says he's the father of lies. Well, he was placing discouraging thoughts in my mind. And so upon realizing that, I immediately told the devil to leave in the name of Jesus and take his negative thoughts with him. And what I began to do, just all by myself, no one knows this, I'm just confessing it now, is I began to just praise God and worship him and thank him for everybody that calls this place home. I I began to thank him for allowing me to be a part of your life. I began to thank him and praise him for his goodness and his faithfulness. And see, what I was doing is I was getting my eyes off the negative situation that wasn't even really that big of a deal, okay? But again, that's what the devil does. He hones in on something and he begins to breed those negative thoughts. And um, anyway... As time went on, I began to get freer and freer and freer. When I say time went on, just a minute after minute after minute. And by the time worship started, I was fine and praising God and rejoicing. The fact is this, listen carefully, that the people who missed, I'm assuming had a very good reason to miss. That's not the situation. It just happened to be a lot of people at the same time. And I want you to see something, though, in what I'm saying. Okay, listen carefully to what I'm saying. Can you see how the devil takes advantage of a situation to bring discouragement? That's exactly how he does it in your life. He looks for something. He looks for a vulnerability. If you've been a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He can quickly give feed thoughts, negative thoughts about your children, especially if they're you know, grown and adults and making decisions on their own. And he can begin to feed things that, that probably are so far from reality. But again, that's, no one said that uh, what we're discouraged about is exactly real. You understand? The devil is crafty. He is deceitful. And he uses discouragement. And 
I say what I just said about that story. Listen carefully. Everybody say, I'm listening. I didn't say that story to condemn anyone, including myself. I'm simply sharing that and making myself vulnerable to show you the tactics of the enemy in our life. And if we can understand the tactics, if we can understand how the devil operates, then we can stop him in his tracks from working in our life. But I'm telling you what, the devil's sneaky. He really is. C.S. Lewis said this. Listen carefully. He said, if Satan's arsenal of weapons were restricted to a single one, it would be discouragement. That would be the weapon he would choose if that's all the devil could choose. Why is that? Because discouragement is an extremely powerful negative force, especially when it's let loose to run freely in someone's life. It is very powerful. Let's look up the dictionary definition. The dictionary definition of the word discourage is dissuade, to dissuade, to talk out of, to uh, deter, to prevent, to stop, to hinder, to put a damper on. Now think about that for a moment. Doesn't that sound like all the things the devil wants to do in your life? The, and other words that describe discouraged in general that are similar are disheartened, dispirited, uh, deflated, disappointed, despondent, downcast, depressed. Are you all getting the idea? Man, I just already kind of feel bad, you know, just talking about all that. Just, it's just, these are not fun words. But are they real? Do they impact our lives? Listen to me, don't give me the idea they're not real. We live in the age of depression. People are popping pills all over the place trying to cure how they feel. So it is a very potent, very powerful thing in our lives. And we need to acknowledge it. We need to be aware of it. The title of my message is this. You ready? How to discourage discouragement. (laughs) Now remember, what does discourage mean? To deter, to stop, to prevent. (laughs) So we want to prevent discouragement, all right? We want to stop it in our lives before it has a foothold. Because again, discouragement, guys, is where it leads to being despondent, being depressed. And that's a bad place to be. And most of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced that. In fact, some of you right today might be going through some of this. You may be discouraged in an area. Depression may have set in. Maybe, maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a money situation. Maybe it's a health situation. But whatever it is, somewhere in your thinking, you think this can't change. It cannot change. This is the way it is. And it doesn't have to be that way. I'm telling you guys, how many know with God all things are possible? But see, what we got to do is begin to focus on what His Word says and let go of the discouragement. Let go of all those negative things. Now, in describing discouragement, you can easily see why Satan wants you discouraged in life. It's very obvious. He wants to stop you, doesn't he? He wants to dissuade you. He wants you. He wants to talk you out of something. He wants to prevent you from doing something. He wants you depressed. He wants you cast down. Why does he want those things? Because when you're in that position, you feel weak. You feel powerless. You feel useless. You feel like you can do nothing. That's the state he wants you in. And you're off in a corner and you're not bothering anybody. That's exactly where the devil wants you. He wants you just, if he can't get rid of you in this life, then he'd rather you just sit in a corner not bothering anybody so he can continue what he wants to do. What does he want to do in our life? We went over this, remember? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to run rampant in our lives. He wants to annihilate our lives. He wants to mess them up and screw them up. But I'm going to tell you this, and I say this, and it might shock some of you. What Satan does, he does very well. He's had a lot of practice. He's very good at what he does. Think about it. Doesn't he make you question God in your life? Right? Anybody ever hear question? Did God really say? Did God really? Isn't that sound familiar? Didn't he do that way back in the beginning in Genesis? 
Did God really say? Remember? He hasn't changed. See, he's had a lot of practice dealing with humans. And he knows us. And there's nothing new under the sun. So again, I'm not for the devil. I can't wait for him to be locked up. And we ought to deal with him in the name of Jesus. But the reality is, he's good at what he does. There's no doubt about that. He is a force to be reckoned with. In other words, you can't just let him run loose in your life. You have to deal with him. How many of you would let rats run rampant in your home? Right? you deal with that. You'd say, I don't care what the cost. I'd sell the car if I have to, but I'm getting rid of these rats. You know, I don't care what I got to do. All right? Right? You would do anything at any cost. That's how you need to deal with the devil in your life. See, if you let just a little bit of leaven in, if you just open the door and leave it just a little bit, he will take advantage of that. And he will come in and do great damage to your life because you just left it open. Don't leave a door open with him. The devil looks for weak spots in our life. Look with me on the screen here, 1 Peter 5.8 in the New Living. It says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, again, the word like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion, okay? If he's a lion, he's a toothless lion. All right. He's all, listen to me, he's all bark but no bite. Okay. He can growl, he can scare, but the reality is, did Jesus defeat the devil? Right. He took the power, the, the power of sin and death, the keys of death and hell. Listen to me, he's powerless in our life unless you give it to him. And that's what I'm talking about. Unless you open the door and allow him to operate in your life by deceit, by that craftiness. There's not much he can do. He can't just outright attack you and defeat you because Jesus already took care of that for us. But again, as I said, the devil's crafty and deceiving. You see, what he does is he looks for an area in your life where you're having problems. Anybody ever have problems in your life? I get loads of problems, okay? Loads of opportunities for problems, right? I, listen to me say, well, pastor, that's not very faith-like to say that. Listen to me. The reality is that's life, okay? It's life. Life happens, and, and problems happen. I, I didn't say I wasn't an overcomer, okay? I didn't say that, I'm a, I, I, that anything's going to beat me. I'm just saying the opportunities, the challenges are always there, always coming at us. And what the devil does is this. He looks quietly from a distance. My dog... Um, she's a, 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 I tell you what, I think she could hunt if we trained her right. But she's a little runt of a dog, okay? Uh, what is she? Yeah, miniature pincher chihuahua, but she's a killer. And she'll, she'll sit there like a cat almost. You ever seen a cat going to sneak up on something real quietly, you know, like a lion would? Well, my dog thinks that that's what she is. And she'll sit there way on the other side, and she can, she can run fast. I mean, she's about as fast as a rabbit is running full-blown. I mean, really fast. And she's sitting there, and she sees like a squirrel or a rabbit or a bird on the other side, and she just sits there, and she'll move a little bit. And she'll just do this, because you'll call, Carly, Carly. She won't even respond to you. She's locked in. She's honed in. And then, uh, you know, sometimes Lisa and I will mess it up by saving the squirrel, saying, go! And that squirrel will run, and she'll boom, go after that squirrel, and oh, I missed again, you know? <laughs> the fact is, our dog has brought us rabbits, uh, birds, I mean, you name it. I mean, the, the, the dog is, is, has caught several of them, you know, and then eats part of it and leaves the rest, for, you know? That's when you don't want to say, here, lick my face, here, be real cuddly, you mean animal, you know. <laughs> but the fact is this, much like the devil, and what I mean by that is he looks for an area in your life where you're having problems and he sneaks in very subtly so as not to draw attention to himself and he begins his attack in your thought life. Everybody hear what I just said? What did I just say? Thought life. Everybody say thought life. In other words, you're thinking. 
He's not, he's not just attacking your body. He's not, just, he's not doing something outright. He's coming in very subtly by injecting a thought. Ephesians chapter 6, if you were to look there, don't look there, but if you were to go in there, you would, you would hear something called the fiery darts of the wicked one. I really do believe the fiery darts of the wicked one are thoughts. Are thoughts. And he fires them, and somehow he can inject or get across a thought. How he does it, I don't know. Maybe he's whispering. You know, there's, there's some devil just whispering. I don't know. But the fact is, somehow he can inject the thought. Now, that doesn't mean that thought has to stay, does it? Can we deal with thoughts and say, no, I refuse that thought. I'm not going to think on that thought. But somehow he can inject these thoughts, and that's exactly what he does. His attack is in your thought life. He starts planting negative, doubt-filled thoughts that make you begin to question yourself. Just like he did with Eve back in Genesis 1. Did God really say and you begin to question yourself, did, did I really hear God or was it just me? Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Did I really hear God or was it just me? Right, Larry? He used to do that all the time. All the time he would question him, say, so call me up. Man, did, you know, I just want to be sure I'm hearing God. You know, and I would say, you're hearing God, just chill. You know, it's the devil making you question it. But see, all of us know what I'm talking about, right? Or... Maybe God missed it by using me. Maybe it's just a mistake, you know. Everything I do fails anyway. Anybody ever have a thought like that? No one's going to admit it, are you? <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> I always mess things up. That thought. You, you, you guys, I'm hitting home. I know I am. You think, I always make the wrong choices. Why couldn't I have done different? And you begin to question yourself. Here's a big one. You ready? No one cares. No one really understands me. Boy, it's quiet in here. No one's laughing now. I'm the only one. <laughs> These are all thoughts powerful thoughts that that somehow he injects and if you allow your your thoughts to stay there they'll grow like a seed see that's what a thought is a thought is a seed and what is the seed meant to do it's meant to be planted and grow roots and grow and develop and eventually before you know it you could have a full-blown shrub in your head of thoughts that are negative of thoughts that are hard to get rid of. You know, I really do believe this is why so many people think there's no way out of depression, and so they only go suicide. Why is that? They don't see a way out. Their thoughts are just consumed with whatever it is going on. Is there a way out? Absolutely, there's a way out. There's a way out. And we're going to talk about that. Listen to me carefully. If you're living and breathing, you're going to have the opportunity to be discouraged in life. It's how you handle the challenge of discouragement that will place you in a position of success or failure. Which direction you're going to go in that particular area. Remember that old mule? What did the mule do? He shook it off and he stepped up. Everybody say it. Shake it off and step up. In other words, he took the situation where he was at and refused to allow that situation to dominate him. He refused to just sit there and do nothing. He was going to change the situation. And that's what you have to do when discouragement tries to stop you. Let me give you another area. Family. Everybody say family. You know, family is a funny thing. We all want it. <laughs> we all want to be a part of it. But how many of you know... Ugh, that can be the most stressful area of life, right? I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's, family is, is an odd thing. <laughs> it, is, it is something so great, but at the same time can be so hard. It can be so difficult. And there are many challenges with family, especially if you've got a good, strong family that tries to stick together, that does their best with the parents and, and the children and so on as they grow up. But it seems this, and most of you can relate, that those closest to us, the ones we love the most, can hurt us the most. Isn't it weird that way? The ones that are closest, the ones we love the most, can hurt the most. 
And I think as parents, we understand this all too well. After all, think about it now. And some of you, just with little kids, may not completely relate, but you will eventually. You raise your children the best you know how. You do everything you can do to do better than your parents did. You love them. You give them everything they need in life. You sacrifice. You love. You help without any thanks at all. Am I right so far? You work hard to train them so they can be successful in life and do better than you. And in a lot of cases, teenagers, in most cases, begin to challenge the parents. They begin to challenge that authority. And a lot of that is they're just trying to find out who they are. And you've got to kind of give them a little bit of room there. And they're trying to figure out things for themselves. But in a lot of cases, uh, whether it be as a teenager or as an adult child, they may make wrong decisions. And some of them make powerfully wrong decisions that can cause real schisms in that family, cause real difficulty. And the parents look at this and understand with their... their, They understand um, technically, I didn't do those wrong things, okay? I didn't make those mistakes, but they can't help but blame themselves, thinking maybe if I would have done things differently... Maybe if we would have done things differently. Maybe if I would have made some changes. And so it's still reflecting on them some. As they begin to do this, they become more discouraged about the situation. The devil begins to say that that relationship is irreparable. It's going down. That kid, if they don't go to jail, they're going to die. I mean, the, the devil can say any number of things. He can say that, well, yeah, they may do okay, but the kid's going to move away and never see you again. I think that most parents face that when the kids want to move across the country. They think, well, that's it. Never going to see them again. Right, Lisa? I mean, she, she, she literally has, and I, she doesn't have a fear about that necessarily, but the thought's in the back of her mind that if I move far away from my kids, I won't see them anymore. And see, who's feeding that fire? Who's feeding that fire? Think about that. It's, it's discouragement in that relationship. Well, if these kind of things fester, if they stay, what happens? Eventually, you go from just plain old being discouraged at the moment to despondent to full-blown depression. In other words, it literally begins to wreck life. It begins to suck all the joy out of everything. And it just creates this downward spiral. What I'm trying to say here is, is the scenario I just told you that far off? Or is it pretty realistic? A lot of families. A lot of families. And listen, every family, even the Cleavers, if you know who I'm talking about, I mean, would have real problems. You know the old expression, you know, that the grass is always greener on the other side. Well, if you could sneak in the other side, you might be surprised. It's not as nice and sweet as you thought it was. I know a family I'm related to that always came off very nuclear, very tight, very everything wholesome and blah, blah, blah. But as time went on, and time reveals all things, if you just wait, it was not near that at all. It was corrupt and messed up and distorted and disturbed, like everybody else. <laughs> everybody say, I'm normal. That's right, abnormal, normal. <laughs> Listen to me carefully. No one's perfect except the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just doing our best to act like Him. Amen. We're heading that direction. Listen to me. Even in my own life following the Lord, there have been many opportunities to quit because of discouragement. And I've been following them a long time. You see, when we believe that God's gave us direction to do something and we start heading towards that direction, believing that's the what He wants to do, and we step out in faith and we start moving towards that, and things don't begin to turn out like we thought they would, and it begins to get harder and harder and harder, what tries to set in? Discouragement discouragement and what's the discouragement trying to do to stop you to just get you to quit so in marriage what's the devil's goal between a married couple to create so much discouragement they finally say what's the use let's just quit 
and they quit. Or with their children. Or with a money situation. You know, they just say, oh, I'm just going to go bankrupt. I don't see any other way out. And they quit. See, that's the devil's goal, to get you to quit in life. How many of you know quitters don't have very good testimonies? <laughs> Do they? I mean, none of you are going to go down to some financial guy who's failed at everything in life and living under a bridge right now and say, could you give me some financial wisdom? <laughs> None of you are going to do that. You're going to go to the rich guy who's doing very well and get some information, right? Listen to me. I want you to think about just for a moment when we consider discouragement. Let's use the Bible. Uh, Joseph. Everybody remember the story of Joseph, the dreamer? Remember? He has this dream God deals with him, and it's fantastic, and he's all excited. Now, he probably shouldn't have spouted the dream everywhere, okay? But he's young. He's 17. He doesn't know any better. He's just hearing God and is excited, and he begins to share this dream. Well, his brothers and all of them weren't real happy about it, and uh, neither was his dad, for that matter. And, uh, well, anyway, we, most of you know the story. Basically, I'll just sum it up. The brothers, uh, some of them want to kill him. Okay, but some of the brothers talked them out of killing him and said, let's just sell him as a slave. That's better. You know, that's kind of messed up thinking, huh? Bring your own brothers. And anyway, they sell him as a slave. And he, he, he didn't do anything wrong. He's just a 17-year-old kid. So he gets sent off and he ends up in Egypt where that's not the greatest place to be Hebrew. All right. And so he gets there. He's a slave. He ends up doing good and God's blessing him. And then he gets in a, in a compromising situation, not by his own means, gets unjustly thrown in prison. Now, can I ask you a question? Do you think this guy has had an opportunity to be discouraged a time or two? Lord, hello! I mean, first I'm in this hole getting sold into slavery. My brother's going to kill me and all that. And then I'm in jail. I'm not seeing the big picture here. I mean, and I mean, years went by. Everybody say years. We're not talking a couple months. We're talking a very long time. Now, ultimately, the story of Joseph is about him not quitting. He didn't allow discouragement to overtake him. And trust me, he had his opportunities. I'm sure time and time again, he just wanted to say, God, I quit. I mean, I'm obviously a loser. You picked the wrong one. Somehow there was a dream mess up. I mean, who knows what he was thinking, but the point is, was he discouraged? And so he didn't quit, he didn't quit, he didn't quit, he didn't quit, he didn't quit. And guess what happened? We all know, right? I mean, he was second in command. And God used him to save the family that once tried to consider killing him and also sold him into slavery. God used him in a great, great way. The fact is, we need to understand that discouragement is at work in our lives to stop us in our tracks from doing anything for the Lord, having a good, successful life, being a blessing to the Lord. Consider Jesus in the garden. you got Jesus in the garden, okay? He's, he knows what's about to happen. In fact, he's sweating drops of blood. He's so stressed out. But what does he do? Remember, he even considers, Lord, Father, is there any other way? Now think about the pressure on Jesus. The whole world's salvation is on him. And that pressure is getting to him to the point that he's literally sweating drops of blood. He is so stressed. And so he, he prays and he, he's at that point, Father, you can tell he almost wants to just call legions of angels and say, I'm done with this. See, did he do it for himself or did he do it for us? He didn't need sin taken care of for him. And what do you think he was tempted? He was tempted to bypass the whole thing. <laughs> Even the devil offered that to him, remember? If you bow down before me, I will give you everything. Right? That had to have been a real temptation to Jesus. He was really tempted to just say, you know what? Let's just bypass the whole thing. I don't really want to go to the cross. You think he was looking forward to it? I mean, consider what was going to happen to him. Well, anyway, he's in the garden, and we know everybody came and they got him. Now, think about this. Judas betrays him. 
everybody scatters and leaves him that said that they would give their life to him. And the one that said he would give his life literally to him denies him three times. Do you think Jesus was perhaps just a little discouraged? Think about that. Everybody abandoned him. No one wanted anything to do with him. In other words, everybody who praised him at the beginning of the week when he came into Jerusalem, remember? Throwing palm branches down, worshiping him and thinking he's the greatest, is now what? Crucify him. Think about him. Remember, he said it himself. I could have called, you know, legions of angels and just wiped the whole thing out and started over again. That thought must have occurred to him. But guess what? He didn't quit, did he? He didn't quit. Why? Why did, why did Jesus, why was he able to overcome discouragement? Well, remember, what did he do when he was in the garden? He prayed. He went to the Father for strength. And he said, Father, nevertheless, your will, not mine. And I guarantee you, the, I, I guarantee you, that there was an anointing there, a strength there, an encouragement there to help him keep his eyes on the prize, to help him keep his eye on where he needed to be. But he went to who for that? He went to the Father. He went to God to get what he needed. And so look with me real quick. Psalm 42, verse 5. This is kind of our main text. 42, verse 5, Psalm why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Everybody say, hope in God. Now I want you to notice that the psalmist here is acknowledging his position, isn't he? He's acknowledging where he's at. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Do you know when you're having the opportunity to be discouraged? That's what he's saying. I'm having an opportunity. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Let's look at the New Living Version of Psalm 42.5. Look at this. It says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. So he's saying, what's the problem? Discouragement is trying to come in his life. What's the answer? Hope in God. Everybody say, discouragement bad hope in god good all right in other words he's saying that's my answer i need to be listen to me you have to take care of your soul god's not going to do it for you he'll help you he'll equip you but when you are facing discouragement when the devil's rattling your cage in your thought life you have to step up and realize what's going on and then make a step in the right direction that's what he's saying He's saying, recognize where you are. I want everybody's attention right now. Real quick, if you've got to stand up, whatever you've got to do, okay? Everybody put your hands up. Say, praise the Lord. All right. Listen carefully. Right now in your life, I'm sure there are some of you that have been dealing with things in your life that are difficult, that are challenging, that you want to quit, that you want to give up on. If, if you're not having anything like this, then my question is, what are you doing? Because you ought to be feeling that way. Am I right? If you're doing something or helping someone somewhere there, you're going to be discouraged. The fact is, is that you need to recognize it. And, you know, I've said this before. Are you ready? You've got to stop once in a while and think about what you're thinking about. And it's such a weird thing to say. Think about what you're thinking about. But anybody know what I'm talking about? Your mind can wander. It did this morning. Come on. Somebody here, or most of you, have wandered while I was talking. Did I turn that dishwasher on before I left? I wonder if the restaurant will have this when I get there. Oh, man, did I close the windows in the car? It's raining. Right? I mean, your, your mind wanders. It goes off. And so you bring it back. That's why I'm saying you have to think about what you're thinking. Say it with me. i got to think about what I'm thinking about. 
and say we have to be aware of discouraging thoughts. That's what, that's what the psalmist is talking about here. And then he said the answer to get out of that, the answer, what are we talking about today? How to discourage discouragement. How to recognize it and say, no, that's not for me. I'm not even going to camp there. The minute I see the sign of discouragement, what do I want to do? I want to skirt it. I want to get around it. I don't. How many like to be depressed? Like to feel sorry for yourself? Oh, you do sometimes. But the reality is it's a sad, sad, dark place to be. That's not what we want in our life. That's not what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to love God, love others, and be a blessing and serve. Amen? We're not supposed to be moly grubbing about ourselves. Amen? There's no good in that. That's a sick place. Does any, you might like it, but does anybody ever like to be around someone like that? You can't stand when they start, well, my life, and they start just, just you know, you're just thinking, how can I get out of this? How can I leave? How can I move? You know, I just want to lay my hands on me. Shut up! You know? I mean, because you're just digging a hole deeper, you know? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, I'll, let's be honest. No one wants to hear someone gripe and gripe and gripe and gripe. Yet sometimes we like to. And we want other people to listen to us gripe and gripe and gripe. And we wonder why they don't want to listen, you know? <laughs> no one wants to be around that. Listen carefully. I want to share again how we defeat discouragement. It is obvious I'm not going to finish this message today, okay? It is obvious, and I didn't think I would. I really laid out something for you today to think about, didn't I? I mean, a lot of areas, a lot of, a lot of things in our life. And let's just, we're going to look at step one real quickly of step out of, I got four. And they all begin with R. Everybody say R. Like pirates. R. All right. Now, the first step on defeating discouragement, how we get around it, or even if we're in the middle of it, you ready? Is return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. You see, many believers, when feeling down and discouraged, run away from God. I've seen it time and time again. When bad things begin to happen and they begin to focus on them, they begin to discourage, I've literally seen them um, in, 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 a, in a pattern, so to speak. They're relatively faithful. And then they start missing here, and then there, and then there, and then there. And all of a sudden, they've just kind of pushed themselves right out the door. And every time you talk to them, there's a different excuse of why they haven't been there. You know what they are? They're discouraged. They're discouraged. They're, they're fighting that challenge in their life. Whatever it is that's uh, attacking them, whatever they're, they're dealing with. The fact is this, Malachi chapter 3, verse 7 the latter part of the verse, I know it'll have the whole thing, but the latter part says, Return unto me, and I will return unto you, says the Lord of hosts. Return. Everybody say, return to the Lord. That's what we need to recognize in our life. If we are depressed, if we are discouraged, you know what that says? Big red flag. I'm not fellowshipping with the Lord right now. Because there's no way you can fellowship and get in the presence of God and be discouraged. It's just not possible. In other words, what's in the presence of the Lord? Fullness of joy. Everybody say it. Fullness of joy. That's what's in the presence of God. So what does it tell me that if you're filled with discouragement, what are you not in? You're not in the presence of God. That means you need to return to Him. You need to say, whoa, wake up. I haven't been spending time with the Lord. Now, last Sunday when I had that little blip, what was my answer to the discouragement? Remember, what did I tell you? I began to praise God and spend time in His presence for a little bit. That's what got me over that little thing. The fact is, we need to do is this. Run to God when you're in a problem, not run away from Him. And I'm telling you, it is instinctive inside us, somehow in our flesh, that when problems start overtaking our life, we want to back up. We want to hide. We want to, be, we want to isolate ourselves. Why? Because maybe it makes us feel bad to hear good things. Maybe it's, it's I don't want to 
hear it because I'm not supposed to be discouraged even though I'm discouraged. (laughs) Even though I'm depressed, I don't want to be reminded of it. We need to understand, I don't want that. I want to run to God. He's my help. Amen? When discouraged, again, many Christians drift away from the Lord. They begin to neglect prayer, God's Word, church attendance, and so on. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Remember, what does the devil want you to do? He wants you to isolate yourself. He wants you to separate yourself from your brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants you to separate yourself from anyone who will provide you good counsel in life. Now, why does he want that? Why does the devil want you separated? Think about this in the wild. Why would a lion want to see um, some small animals separated from the rest of the crew. Exactly. When you're alone and you're weak and you're hurting, you are easy prey for the enemy. And see, when you come to church, even if you said, Pastor, I'm having challenges, I'm discouraged, or you told someone here, no one is going to make fun of you here, what are we going to do? We're going to pray for them. We're going to help them. We're going to encourage them. But see, the devil doesn't want you getting that. Why? He wants to destroy you. He wants you isolated. He wants you by yourself. He wants you to have that pity party. And you're weak and you're hurting and you're vulnerable. And then he comes in for his attack. See, that we can't allow that. We need to stay inside the, the, uh, the herd. <laughs> We're in the herd, the lion ain't going to come attack the weak one in the middle of it, right? In fact, I've actually seen, as you watch those animal planet shows, and you'll actually see someone that's weak and hurting, or maybe the, the, the babies, so to speak, and you'll see all the big ones making a big old round circle around them. Why? Because the lions aren't going to go through that. They're just not going to mess with it. They're, I, they're all like kind of the same way. They're all barking, no bite. See, lions are really lazy. I mean, they, they do a little bit of work for a short time, killing the weak one, <laughs> and, and they're just eating and sleeping the rest of the time. They really don't want to go through that much work. The devil is probably similar, okay? He's just not going to mess with you if you're in the middle here. So, in other words, what we need to do is when we're having difficulties in our life, what do we do? We run to God, not run away from Him. Amen? Run to God. Uh, James 4.8 says... Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Now, that doesn't mean God's far away, but God is not going to tell you what to do. In other words, if you have been disobedient, and you have walked away from Him, His loving arms are there and waiting for you, but He will not force His way back into your life. You'll have to draw near to Him. You just make one little inch step towards Him, I guarantee He's right there. Amen? That is our God. Does God love us? Does he care for us? Just read Psalm 23. Read Psalm 91 and you get a picture of our God. That's what he wants for us. He wants to protect us. He wants to keep us. He just won't make us. What we need to do is say no to discouragement by running to the Lord. Remember, shake it off. Step up. Don't allow yourself to stay there. Don't allow yourself to have that pity party. Press in. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I love this in this uh, translation. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So where do we go when we're going through hard times? Everybody say, go to Jesus. Say it again like you mean it. Go to Jesus. That's where we go when we're going through difficult times. We don't run from Him, we run to Him. Run into His waiting arms. There's comfort, there's strength, there's peace there. There's restoration there. It's when we run off that we're all alone. And we feel all alone. That's not a place to be. Hebrews 4.16 So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What will we get when we go to God the Father? Will we get harassed and berated for making mistakes? Will He point things out and say, you made your bed, you lie in it? No. What will He do? He will open His arms and restore you and fix you. He'll set you free. And on top of that, He'll fix the problem you were in. 
but he can't fix a problem he's not involved in. You hear me? He can't fix a problem that you didn't let him in. If you want to have your little problem over here and your little pity party, you are going to do it on your own. And that's a sad place to be when we have God Almighty on our side. Everybody say it with me. If God is for me, who can be against me? Is he for you? Say, God is for me. Say, God loves me. He's my friend. (laughs) He's there for us. Amen? So what we need to do when we find ourselves in that discouraging moment, when we find ourselves where we're facing challenges, when we find ourselves and our thoughts in this depressed state that's trying to, again, stop us from moving forward, no matter what it might be, whether it be something God told you to do, or whether it be a situation between spouses, or whether it be your children, or whether it be a financial problem, or whether it be a health problem, take that problem, take that situation, and go to the Lord, and get the strength to deal with it. Get the wisdom, get the knowledge. How many know God knows more than you? He knows more than you. And He wants to help you in that situation. But He can't do it if you don't give it to Him. If you don't go to Him. But if you go to Him, I promise you, He will not berate you. He will welcome you. He will say, yeah, let me help you. Just no, no different than when my kids were little you know, maybe five or six years old, and they were struggling at putting something together. And now when, when they first opened that present, remember, I'd, I'd offer to help, and what would they say? It's mine. Stay away, Dad. I mean, I mean, so they'd sit there for however long, and they're not getting anywhere. I mean, they got two things, and they're all up, you know, wherever. Finally, I'd come by, and they'd ask me if I could help. and so I sat down and I helped them I didn't berate them I didn't pick on them I'd say hey listen kid you caused the problem none of us are going to do that right our heavenly father is he not way better than we are he is he is a gooder God (laughs) he is a good God amen He's gooder than you. <laughs> He's better than you. And he is going to just sit down and say, let me take care of that. How many know God can handle any problem we throw at him? But we're sitting there working so hard, and it's so heavy, and it's so difficult. Why are we doing that? When all we have to do is, listen, pride is a problem. I can do it on my own. <laughs> my five-year-old would say the same thing. I can do it on my own. You can even tie your shoes. (laughs) And yet, that's how the Lord looks at us. I I heard a preacher the other day say this. Listen carefully. He said this. (laughs) He said, on your best day, on your smartest day, on the day that you knew more about one subject than maybe any ten people on the planet, meaning that the ten greatest minds, you wouldn't impress God. Would you? Does he know everything about everything about everything? What I'm trying to say is, he is so big, he is so great, he is so mighty, why are we working so hard? Why don't we let him in our life and let him work? Amen?